Tonight, we are going to continue our Reckless Love series. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. And I just sense as I prayed walking through this place this afternoon that you have something for somebody. And I know that sounds just generic, but you know what I'm talking about. There's somebody's here for a divine appointment tonight. And so tonight, I just thank you for what's happening already and what's going to happen over the next several minutes, that there would be receptive ears, that there would be soft hearts, that there would be open minds and open hands to receive what you want to deposit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we left last week at a crossroads, uh, kind of a crisis point, because uh, if you remember, Ruth snuck in to where Boaz was guarding the, the harvest and basically asked him to marry her. You can go back. It was, one, it was a, a, a bold faith, and I encourage you to go back and listen to, to the last couple messages. If you missed them, maybe listen to them again, but it's, it's a really key messages. And she leaves uh, at a crisis point because even though Boaz can be a redeemer, he can purchase the land of, of her family, of Naomi's family, and basically uh, buy the right to marry Ruth, there's a problem. And we see it in Ruth chapter 3, verse 12, back up to, to chapter 3. It says, and now this is true that I'm a redeemer, Boaz says, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So Ruth needs to be redeemed. Uh, and Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, but there's a, a redeemer that's clo- a closer relative who has first shot at it. And so that's kind of where the story takes off today. And so we have to remember that all throughout this story, Ruth is basically an outsider in the story. I mean, she's basically an outsider at every single place that she goes. She is an outsider looking to become on the inside. And I don't have time to re-preach all of that, but How many of you guys have ever woken up one day and what used to really mean a lot and used to impact you all of a sudden doesn't have the same impact? I think sometimes when we hear a story like Ruth's, it's like we've we've talked about redemption. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, which several of you have, you can talk about this being an outsider needing to be grafted in and it can kind of lose some of its impact. And what I want you to do today is just to remind yourself of what it's like to be an outsider and needing to be grafted in, because that's exactly where Ruth is at. She's an outsider and needs to be uh, brought near. Now, I was remembering a story from when I was a little kid. I mean, I don't know how old I was. I just remember I was this tall. I don't know. I was somewhere in there, and for some reason, and this is how I remember the story. I I didn't talk to my brother about this before service to kind of clarify, but this is how I remember the story. For some reason, my brother Jeremy and I were standing at the door of the house we lived at, and like our second cousin or something was going to take Jeremy on a, and Jeremy's my older brother, is going to take him to, like, in this van with a bunch of people on a trip to Minnesota for some reason. And we lived in Missouri on a trip to Minnesota. And so she's coming by to pick him up and getting ready to take him. And I am like feeling left out. Have you guys ever felt left out before, especially as a kid? And so I'm at the door just crying, feeling like I'm, why does he get to go on this epic trip? And of course I'm like this big, but why does he get to go? And I don't get to go and I'm crying and I'm crying. I'm feeling left out. I'm on the outside. And then for whatever reason, my parents, decide, okay, he can go. And they 
they let me go and they start to put me in the van. And then all of a sudden I realize, what kind of parent on a whim sends their kid to Minnesota? Some of you guys have kids and you're like, where's the bus? I'll send them right now, right? Now I'm feeling like an outsider with my parents. Like, my parents just on a whim go to Minnesota, you know, just go on. No plan, just go. And so I, I just remember that and feeling like left out and then feeling, wait a minute, what just happened here? Did I really want to happen what just happened? But how many of you guys know what it's like? I mean, if you remember back, how about remember back into, uh, let's say, junior high? How many of you guys, just this collective groan uh, just in the building, which I always just say that junior high ought to be outlawed, right? I mean, that's just... Because I remember in junior high, how many of you guys are old enough to remember the Reebok pumps? How many of you guys remember those with on the tongue of the shoe? It had the thing that you pump up. And if you, if you pump up your shoe big enough and better, like better than other people's shoes, you can jump higher, you can dunk, you can do all that stuff, right? So my friends all had the Reebok pumps. But how many of you guys know those things cost a lot of money, didn't they? I mean, back in the day, they did. And so, but we wanted some, but we couldn't afford it. And so we got the generic version of the pump. And the pump was on the side. It didn't even hardly work at all, but it was like our closest. And so I just remember walking in and like feeling left out, which again, junior high ought to be outlawed, right? And so I could, I mean, I've got scars that are deep from junior high. And uh, so, but just being on the outside and sometimes we can forget what it's like to be on the outside. Sometimes we can forget what it's like for our neighbors who are lost and don't know Jesus, what it's like to be on the outside. Sometimes we can forget what it's like for even people in our own church who maybe we've got friends and we've got community, but there are people here even in our church right now who feel on the outside. And I, I, w- I just want to remind you what it's like that you've been brought near to Christ. That if nothing else, if you know Jesus tonight, that you were on the outside. But how many of you guys know you are now on the inside? You've been brought near. And my task tonight is just to remind you of the riches of his grace towards you, of the riches of redemption. And if you could just for a moment, just go back to that moment when you felt like you were on the outside and that your sin was too much, but then you discovered God's grace and his grace was sufficient to take care of. And even maybe some of you felt that this week, that you felt like something that happened and you felt like I'm not worthy anymore. I want you to know that you may feel like you're on the outside, but in Christ you've been brought near. His riches of his grace is enough. And so, so Ruth finds herself in this spot, this crisis moment. So Boaz does two things. First of all, he tells her, he, he sends her away with six measures of barley, which was a huge gift. Everybody say gift. That's going to be key tonight. Sends her away with this huge gift. And then he goes into town later on to attempt to redeem Ruth by finding the, the guy who is the nearer kinsman and suggesting that he buy the land or if not, then Boaz will buy the land and thereby continue the family name and graft Ruth in so that the, the field, remember a few weeks ago, the field that, that Ruth stumbles upon and she's just trying to make it by by collecting the grain and connect, collecting the barley, that that very spot where she stumbled upon we're going to see at the end of the story, she's going to own that land. That's the riches of God's grace. It, it, the whole story turns around. So the story turns around, and we'll see later on that Ruth has a child. She's been bearing, barren, so the, it completes this cycle of barrenness to birth, of widowhood to marriage, of poverty to riches, of bitter to sweet, of idolatry to worship, of devastation to redemption. How many of you guys are thankful for God's grace in your life? 
We've got to be reminded of God's grace. This is a picture of God's wonderful grace from the outside grafted on the inside. But here's a key that that we've been talking about grace, we've been talking about blessings, we've been talking about the difference, differences between. I want to give a little layer to this thing called grace that maybe we haven't thought about. Okay, so Boaz wasn't just giving her a no-strings-attached gift of redemption. There was more to redemption to that than that. And, and I want to look, and I'm going to dance across a, a fine line tonight. So please follow me, follow me and hear me closely And what I'm going to preach tonight. There's more to grace than just a no-strings-attached uh, offer. Okay, there's, it's, it's, grace is unconditional, love is unconditional, but there's more to grace than a no strings attached offer. And it reminded me of one of my uh, favorite movies. How many of you guys have ever seen that movie, Last of the Dogmen? Wow, I am surprised. I talked to somebody. Okay, uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Now you guys all have to go home and watch this movie. It's an old movie. I find it fascinating. So here's one of the scenes out of Last of the Dogmen. Let's watch. From this time on, do not mistreat the shaman. Think of us in a good way. All of us are your relations. From this time on, you are one of the like-hearted people. You are Cheyenne. Go in a good way. So he's given a gift, but then there's this, this moment where he's like, ah, I've got to give something back. And he kind of wasn't prepared for that. And I think some of us aren't necessarily prepared for that either when it comes to God's redemption and God's grace. I was listening to a, a professor of theology this week um, at uh, a, a college, at this university someplace. I didn't pay attention where he was at. But he, uh, he brought this um, idea to light that that gifts in the ancient world, and really in most places outside of modern Western world, are never no-strings-attached gifts. And in fact, there was always some expectation of a reciprocal act happening when you gave a gift. There was never a demand for it, 
but kind of an expectation. So in other words, you, would, you could give a gift and it would not be, there would not be any requirement that someone have done something to earn that gift ahead of time. So it was an unconditional gift and they would give the gift and there was never a demand for an act or a gift in return, but there was always some sort of expectation that there would be some sort of return act and some sort of invitation. So basically a gift if you gave a gift in the ancient world or really anywhere outside the West, a gift is an invitation to a relationship with someone. So you would give a gift because you wanted to initiate a relationship. And there was an expectation that there would be some sort of return. Whether it be gratitude, it wouldn't have to equal the gift. It wouldn't have, there would be some sort of like, we're playing ball now. I'm tossing to you. Now you toss back to me. So there was an expectation. Now, God's grace is, hear me, God's grace is given to us freely, unconditionally. There, there, in that sense, there is, there is no demands put on it. But let me tell you this. There is an expectation when God gives us a gift of grace, an expectation of a relationship in return. See, God gives us this gift of grace, and God's gift of grace towards us is an invitation to a relationship with him. And that's how they understood it back in scriptural days, back in Bible days. And so the, it, it was an invitation. It wasn't an obligation. There was no demand for it, but yet it was still an invitation. And so Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, we see Boaz, and he's, he's going up to this guy who's the nearer kinsman, who has first shot, Right? Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And you can read the rest of the story, but he just says, come on over here, let's have a conversation. That word friend, in the, the literal meaning of it, is so-and-so. <laughs> so this is just, hey, so-and-so, come over here, come over here. This guy is so unimportant to the story that he doesn't even get a name. We don't even know his name. He's kind of like an extra in Star Trek. You know, as soon as they get off the ship, they're gone. You know, the, all those red shirts or whatever. That's what this guy is because he's just, he's just an extra. So Boaz sits him down, reveals what the deal is and said, hey, you know, here's all this opportunity. And then he wisely reveals that there are some extra obligations. You're not just buying the land, but you're also going to get the, the widow, uh, Ruth, and marry her and, and Naomi and have to take care of them. And so this so-and-so realizes that he can't afford to do all of this. And in fact, if he did this, he might jeopardize his own name and his own inheritance and his family tree and all that type of stuff. So he backs out of the deal. Now, I want you to see something here. This guy, so-and-so, did not want a relationship with Ruth. And so he withheld the gift. Because again, a gift is an invitation to a relationship. So he didn't want, you, here you see the reverse. He's like, I don't want a relationship. I'm going to withhold my gift of redemption. So the gift from Boaz to Ruth, when he does redeem her, is, it was unconditional. Ruth did not do anything to earn it, but it was not free from expectation. How many of you guys know that Booth, Booth, let's just put it together. It's, a, it's one of those, uh, you know, crazy Hollywood uh, things, you know, put that together. Uh, what do they call that? Somebody, would they put the names together? Yeah, what is that? So we'll do that. So Boaz, he has this gift of redemption. But this gift of redemption was all about an invitation to Ruth 
to have a relationship with Ruth. And I, I just want to drill this point home because it's so important to, for us to get. Why is this important for us to get? It's important for us to get because it seems like in our Western modern world, we want no strings attached to anything and everything. Even when we give, we want to do it no strings attached because we think that that's the best type of gift to give is a no strings attached gift. When in fact, in any other culture, in any other time, that was not the best type of gift because it lacked relationship. And so we want no strings attached church. We want no strings attached friendships. We want no strings attached marriage. We want all this stuff, no strings attached. That's why this is so important. This concept is so important because most of us don't really realize what real relationships are supposed to be like. Most of us are living in some sort of relational poverty in our life. We, we have a deficit. We have a lack we do not understand what even real relationships are, and that's why our marriages struggle, that's why our friendships struggle, that's why our church life struggles, that's why all of this struggles, because we live in a relational poverty. And in fact, I could say it this way, we're outsiders on purpose. We really want to be on the outside, because we don't want the relationship where if somebody tosses the ball to you, you have to toss it back to them. And so we withhold our life, we withhold our, our uh, conversations, our friendships, all of these things because of this. There was, I was reading an article this week, and they said from 1985 to 2009, the average size of an American social network, this is defined by the number of confidants you have, uh, confidants that you have, it declined by more than one-third during that time. How many of you guys know since Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff that it's not helping the matter, is it? It's only making that relational poverty worse on the inside of us. Another two, a 2010 study said people with weaker social ties had a 50% increase in the likelihood of dying earlier, 50% than those with stronger relational ties or social ties. In other words, being disconnected posed a danger comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, more predictive of an early death than air pollution or even physical inactivity was the lack of social connection. So this is important for us to get, not just for relationships with one another, but again, let's go back to our premise, which is this, that God's gift to us is an invitation to a relationship with him. It's not just rules. It's not just uh, checking off boxes. It's an actual relationship. And when we miss out on the relational aspect of walking with God day by day, we're living in a relational poverty on the inside spiritually. And so God's grace is an invitation for us to enter into a relationship. Now, there's another spot in Scripture where this picture of redemption is painted so clearly. And we can see a little different twist on it. So let's watch. So there's another story in the Bible that's a great picture of redemption. It's similar to Ruth, but it's got some twists to it. There's this guy named Hosea. And he, was, he married this girl named Gomer. Now, that should have been his first warning, but <laughs> her name was Gomer. And she was running away from the marriage all the time. She was committing adultery all the time. She had uh, lover after lover and uh, completely found herself in debt and basically where no one wanted her. And she was being sold as a slave on the auction block. And so in those days, they would take the slaves and they would stand them up on something and they would 
would usually be stripped naked just so the buyers could see what they were going to get to check them out whether they were fat or or strong or weak or emaciated or healthy or unhealthy and so they were just right there in front of everybody and there she is Hosea's wife humiliated in debt her life is in ruins there's no way that she deserves anything but what she's got because she's made choices that made uh, her life that she has now and there coming up towards the auction is Hosea and Hosea comes and he starts as the bidding starts Hosea starts to bid and Hosea wins the bid he he wins out all the other bidders and buys her back even though she had strayed now this was a picture that God was painting of his relationship with Israel that they had strayed away but yet God in his love he still wants to redeem and to go and even to give that gift of redemption to pay that price to win us back and that's a picture for us today of the church and for us as individuals and so here we have this beautiful picture of redemption that happens in the book of Hosea and one of the things that I find interesting is this is like an illustrated sermon that God uses Hosea's life now how'd you like to have that life but God uses his life as an illustrated sermon of what God does for his people but one thing that I find interesting is that God chose not just to show what he does for people but he used a person to show what a person can do for another person. And in that, I think there's a beautiful picture. So if a gift is an invitation for relationship, then that means that our gifts are invitations for relationships with other people. Hosea painted that picture that we can use our gifts and what we have. It's not just God towards us, but it's us towards other people. And that's point number two, that our gifts are an invitation to relationships. Our gifts are invitations to relationships. In other words, let me just say it even, I want you to think about this. And I'm talking about our spiritual gifts. I'm talking about our talents. I'm talking about what God gifts us with to serve other people. That our gifts that God placed in our life They are there for the purpose of meeting needs, yes, but a greater purpose of initiating relationships with one another in the body of Christ. So that I could say it in a strong way, it's not even about the gifts. It's about the people whom the gifts connect with. And if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 through 26, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow, bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So gifts are invitations, the gifts God has placed in your life right now. They are invitations, and they are opening doors to relationships with other people. And and I say it that way even stronger because there's this chapter in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. How many of you guys can guess what its number is? 13. 13, that's right. 13, and we call it the love chapter. And the whole purpose of 1 Corinthians 13 is to say, here's the point of the gifts, 
The reason you have spiritual gifts is to show love one for another. In other words, the point of the gifts is to initiate relationships with one another to meet one another's needs. So many of us get this wrong. And we start thinking about that, well, I've got to be used and God wants to use me and all. And God does want to use you. And God does, he has placed these things in your heart and all of that. All of that's fine. But if the gifts are invitations about, and they're about relationships, hear me clearly, the what is less important than the who. In other words, what you're doing is not as important as who you're with. Is anybody getting this tonight? Because I'm not sure you are. This is like a total shift for most of us because in our American culture, we're in an achievement culture. And our achievement is based on awards and accolades and all those things. And we can, if we're not careful, then we get caught up in that. And we start thinking that, that the stage is more important than, than the towel, as I talked about a couple weeks ago. And it's totally not true. If, if you go to, like, like here in the United States, the, the more influence that you have, the bigger stage you'll have and the more people know you. You realize if you go into the underground church in China, the, the way you gauge your success is not by how many people know you, but by how many people don't know you. Because that means you're effective. If you are an underground church pastor and no one knows your name, you have become the most effective underground church pastor and you have the most influence. You see how we have it upside down? And, and so, so this is what's going on here in, in this, this passage. We, we see that our gifts are an invitation to relationships to one another. And this is why I say, if you're in this church right now and you're, you're like, man, I don't know where to serve. You know, we, Pastor Aaron talks about this all the time because, you know, there's only so much room on this stage to be able to, to sing and to play instruments. And there's so many people who are talented and we have so many talented people. And you may be in this church and you're like, man, I, I have that gift. I have that talent but looks like there's no room uh, for me to use my gift here. Can I tell you, it's, it's not true. Do you know how I, I know it's not true? Because your gift is an invitation for a relationship. Can I tell you that back in Journey Kids right now, they need worship leaders. See, and if your gift is about you, then you, you say, well, I can't, that's not what I'm called to do. No, your gift is an invitation to have a relationship with people. And I can tell you that there are some kids right there that would benefit from your relationship by you using your gift. And if not there, we have real life groups where we need worship leaders and tons. We've got, I don't know how many real life groups out there that we, have, we need tons of worship leaders for real life groups. See, if we're just saying that my gift is about me, then what we're saying is that, well, there's only certain places I can use my gift. But if we're saying my gift is an invitation for a relationship, then I can use my gift anywhere. Maybe you, you, you have a, a teaching gift and you say, I'm a teacher. Guess what? We could start a connect group. You can start a connect group. You can start a, a real life group if you want. If you go through the process, you can disciple people one-on-one. You can use your teaching gift to do that. I, I don't care. There's always room when you understand what the gifts are about. And so I I want you to get this in your spirit, that there are people right now who need relationship, and it's going to happen as you exercise your gift. But what you're doing is less important than who you're with. In In the kingdom of God, really anybody can reach anybody. Also in the ancient world, since, since gifts were invitations to relationships, people were very strategic about who they offered gifts to. 
Because if you offered gifts to certain people, if, if it was all about who you're in relationship with, then you would be very strategic to not offer gifts to people who were lower standing than you. You would offer strategic gifts because you would want to be seen with certain people. You'd want to initiate relationships with certain people to kind of work your way up the ladder. This is why Paul was so revolutionary when he wrote it in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or free, Jew or Greek, whether you're black or it didn't matter. And so the kingdom of God offers gifts to one another, not based on worth, but based on whether you're in the kingdom or not. And so this is where we're different, okay? So grace, that word grace, literally means gift. So when we're talking about the gift that God has given us, it's literally talking about the grace. And so I want you to get this, this last point, that God's gift to us Tonight, right here, as simple as this concept is, is an invitation to a deeper relationship tonight. And wherever you're at, as you're reminded of God's grace, can you hear that God's calling you in? He's calling you to a deeper relationship with him. Wherever you're at, and this is where I feel like somebody's going to get a breakthrough because you've kind of seen your relationship with God just like this, and you've been through all this stuff, but I want you to know there's a deeper place in God. And we can see that as Boaz paints this picture. In, in Ruth chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Then Boaz says to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech. He's performing this kinsman redeemer act, and he's buying back the land, and he's getting all of this stuff. And all that belonged to Kilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I've bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so we can see this picture that Boaz, again, is a picture of Christ. And I want you just to understand right now the gift of God's grace. He's calling you in to a deeper relationship. Number one, just as Boaz was a near kinsman, so Jesus became human to be near us and to be like us. You think about the weight of that. And number two, just as Boaz was able to redeem Ruth, Jesus was able to redeem us by remaining sinless and living that sinless life so that he could give us his perfect sinless life in exchange for ours. How many of you guys are thankful for that? Number three, just as Boaz was willing to redeem Ruth, so Jesus has chosen to redeem us because of his great love. He didn't have to, but he chose us even while we were still sinners. Number four, just as Boaz paid the price, he paid a price to redeem Ruth, Jesus shed his own blood on the cross, and he paid the price to redeem us. I'm so thankful for that. Just as Boaz did all the work to redeem Ruth, how many of you guys know that Jesus did all the work to secure our salvation? We don't work for it. We don't do it. We, we just, Jesus has done it all. Number six, just as, G as Boaz loved his bride, so Jesus loves his bride, the church. I love those points right there. And I just want to close up with this and have the worship team come back up. We're getting ready to receive communion as they, they come up. There's a story that I heard from Billy Graham, uh, not personally. Um, I heard a, a, about Billy Graham. It's kind of a, a famous story that's circulated around. But one day, Billy Graham is uh, he's speeding. <laughs> he's, he's driving down the road. He's speeding. A policeman pulls him over, gives him a ticket, said, okay, that was going to be one dollar. You were 10 miles an hour over. That's going to be a dollar for every mile an hour over. How many of you guys wish it was still like that? But he says, you're going to have to go to court to pay this fine. And so Billy Graham shows up in court. <clears throat> the judge looks at him and 
says, yep, here's the fine. It's going to be $10 for uh, one, $1 for every mile over that you went. But then all of a sudden, the judge recognizes that it's Billy Graham. He's like, Billy Graham is right here in front of me. And so he's, he says, okay, you owe this. You have to pay this. But he pulls out a $10 bill out of his own pocket and says, I'll pay the fine for you. And then he goes and takes Billy Graham out for a steak dinner. <laughs> and Billy Graham says, that is uh, how God treats repentant sinners. Yeah, there's a fine that has to be paid, but when you stand before Jesus, that he's like, I paid the fine. But, but the point of tonight's message is this. If we stop there, we miss something very, very important. God doesn't want to just pay your fine. He wants a relationship. No matter how long you've been following Jesus. Maybe you haven't started yet. He's not just here to wipe out our sins. See, we, we so focus on that sometimes. The, the sin is just the barrier to relationship. That's all it is. And he wants to have a relationship with us. So I just want you to be reminded of that as you come to the altar. And, and what we're doing is really we're responding. Even now, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, we're responding right now to the gift that Jesus has given us. And we have the the juice represents the blood that was spilled for us and the, the bread which represents the body that was broken for us. That's the gift of God's grace. But we're coming as a response to his invitation and to his gift. And could you just take a moment and even right where you're at, just heads bowed and eyes closed and just right there in your seat, just take a moment and hear God calling you deeper. He's calling you closer. From wherever you've settled in, he's saying, I've got a territory that you haven't even stepped foot in yet. I've got a territory of serving you haven't even stepped foot in. I've got a territory of, of blessing you haven't even stepped foot in yet. I've got a territory of being able to walk in forgiveness you haven't stepped foot in yet. I've got a, a territory of relationship with me that you haven't even explored yet because you settled in the land of good enough instead of the land of God's best. So God, as we get ready to come before the table here today, we're so thankful for your gift. We know it's unconditional, but we also know that you expect to have a relationship with us. And so today we respond to that. We respond by opening ourselves up fully to you, by we respond by forgiving those who have wronged us just like you forgave us. We respond by walking in a greater degree of faith in what you're asking us to do. We respond that way because we trust in our relationship with you. We trust that things on your side of the deal will always be taken care of. We don't have to worry about your end. So Lord, I just declare that we would walk in a greater level of relationship with you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion. There's, there's tables in the back and there's tables in front. Come and grab the elements. And then during this, that last song, just go ahead and take them back to your seat and have a moment there with God as you receive those.